Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, a rock in our salvation. Amen. Just a note, you're going to see quite a number of the message notes on the screens this morning. There will be a few more in the printed bulletin for your reference as well. Harry Potter is a series of books and then movies that began with the publishing of the first novel in 1997 by the English author J.K. Rowling. This series of books and then movies, enormously popular. The first seven books, or all seven books, were first adapted for movies, for films, and made into eight movies beginning in 2001. So seven books, eight novels, uh, or rather, seven books and eight movies. The books and the movies have proved to be a huge, huge financial success. The books have been translated into more than 80 languages worldwide, and the books themselves have sold more than 600 million copies over the last 20 and so years. The last book, when it was published, was synchronized to go on, scale, uh, on sale, at least in the United States, exactly at the same time, from the East Coast to the West Coast. In the first 24 hours of sales of that seventh novel, 8.3 million copies were sold which comes out to 96 books sold per second for 24 hours. Huge, huge, huge. The Harry Potter series of books is now considered the largest, the best-selling series of books in world history. Not the best-selling book, that would still be the Bible, but the best-selling series of books in world history. Here's a quick, really a too simple summary, but it captures most of it. The summary of the seven books. Harry Potter is a fictional character and the main character in J.K. Rowling's series of seven novels. Most of the book's plot covers the seven years in the life of the orphan Harry, who, on his 11th birthday, learns he is a wizard. He is invited to t attend Hogwarts, a school where he will learn magic under the kind headmaster, Dumbledore. He makes close friends with Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger. He learns that he is already famous throughout the magical community and that his fate is tied with that of the evil Lord Voldemort, the feared dark wizard and the murderer of Potter's parents. The book and the film series revolve around the movement from Potter's being a young kid in awe of the world around him to someone battle-hardened and wiser by the end of it. Potter adapts to the world of wizardry, accepts his role, and eventually defeats Voldemort. Now that's a quick synopsis, a quick Reader's Digest report of the seven novels and more than a million words in those four seven texts. Very soon after that first novel was published in 1997, that novel began to divide the Christian community in the United Kingdom, in the United States, 
and around the world. On the one side, on the one side, there were some devout, devoted Christians who saw and still see a doorway to the occult, to the dark, to the netherworlds. They point to the curses, the witchcraft, the omens, the potions, the instructions to magic, and they don't find that compatible with the Christian faith. And they were very strident, and they continue to be very vocal in their opposition to Harry Potter. The group again insisted that all this stuff was anti-family, contained actual spells and curses, promoted witchcraft and, and, and potions and all that sort of thing. And again, some Christians, folks, devoted, devout, believing Christians, believe that these novels and these movies provided a possible pathway to a dark and evil realm. And these folks would often invoke Deuteronomy chapter 18, 10 to 12, which specifically condemns the practice of witchcraft and was often cited against the Harry Potter series. Protests, book burnings soon followed in the very early first decade of the 2000s. The National Library Association included the Harry Potter series among the top 10 banned books in 2001, 2002, 2003, and 2019. And even J.K. Rowling's insistence that she was a believing Christian, and she is in Scotland, and that she does not believe in magic, that has not convinced still many devout Christians that Harry Potter is an innocent tale of fantasy. So here on the one side, a group of devoted, devoted devout Christians adamantly, stridently opposed to Harry Potter. On the other hand, have been and still are some equally devoted and devout Christians who consider, who estimate that this is a wonderful tale of fantasy and they see some subliminal, if not explicit, connections between Christianity and the Harry Potter series. And, and so they see this as, as really a very fascinating tale. That's an innocent vehicle to tell a story that's loved by children and adults alike. And these folks who, who kind of warm up to the Harry Potter series see some reasons to be positive about it. For example, they point to prophecy, a kind of prophecy that, that would have parallels, they think, in the life, in the early life of Jesus Christ. In the series, Harry is marked early in life as a messianic figure whose purpose is to defeat Voldemort, the embodiment of evil, death, and destruction. And if some of you have seen the movie, if some of you have read the book, you will remember that Harry Potter himself was marked with a kind of a lightning bolt on his forehead underneath his hair. And when people in the book or in the movie would see that, they would understand that, that he was marked for something uniquely spiritually powerful. 
Next, those who warm up to Harry Potter, the, the Christians, see some morality in the series. The series is very much about developing the moral fiber necessary to defeat evil. Rowling herself pointed out that, that one of the themes of the series is that what is easy is not the same as what is right. And, and say what you will about the series, that's a good moral lesson for us all to learn. Third, there's death that people see as a connection to the Christian narrative. Harry must die so that the evil inside him, which is partly Voldemort, could also be destroyed. And not only must this happen, Harry knew that this must happen, and he went willingly to his death. And fourth and finally, there's resurrection. Harry returns to life and to his friends. The series ends as Voldemort tries to destroy Harry with the curse, but the curse bounces back and destroys Voldemort himself. And Harry Potter is a Hollywood hero. There you have it. A series of books and movies with Christians honestly, sometimes bitterly divided about how to approach them. So this morning, should we read? Should we view Harry Potter's series or not? What do we do with them? Let me say first, it is not okay for Christians to practice witchcraft or become involved in the occult. No question about that. Early in the Old Testament times, Saul, a leader of the Hebrews, went to search for a witch, a medium, who he asked to consult with the dead Samuel and bring him back for a conversation. That was a, it was an episode now called Saul and the Witch of Endor. And because of what Saul did in that particular instance, Chronicle tells us that was a part of the reason for Saul's early death. God in the Old Testament absolutely forbade that kind of dabbling in the occult, being a part of divination, summoning people from the dead. No question about that. Luther said it about as well as we could express it in his explanation of the second commandment. He said, we should fear and love God so that we do not curse where use satanic arts. If you know, or if you know someone who is, if you know that you are attracted to some of the lesser parts of the occult and, and constantly want to get deeper and deeper into the world of darkness and evil, then I would say be careful. Stand away. Go in another direction. I knew a woman, and perhaps you've had this experience yourself, in my second year of college, who started with Ouija boards. And that beginning took her on a long, dark path to a darker and darker world. And she was there for more than a year. In my second ministry out in Colorado, I was in a town where I knew a young couple of teenage boys, late middle school, who became involved in Dungeons and Dragons. But it didn't stop there. And they went on from that 
to another, to another, to another exposure to the other world. And they similarly wound up in some very, very dark places for more than two years. So if you find yourself intrigued and, and attracted on a deeper and deeper level to this sort of thing, resist it. Walk away. The risk is too great. And yet that said, reading and viewing Harry Potter is not the same as practicing the occult. And we need to hear that. We wouldn't criticize Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, would we? Simply because it included the ghost of Jacob Marley or the different spirits of Christmas past, present, and future. The Wizard of Oz included the Wicked Witch of the West. Who draws the line here? We're in the realm of personal discretion simply because there is no clear message of scripture on this particular issue to satisfy everybody in the Christian community. Sometimes, and, and I would suggest often, it's a matter of finding what we are looking for. There is an episode very early in the Christian church. In fact, already in the New Testament church times that tells about a case that might help us think through some of the serious issues on which there is no clear word of scripture. And we can learn much of the early church's concerns. It has to do with the eating of meat sacrificed to idols. And let me explain it. Here's what happened. Christian converts living in Corinth found themselves facing a controversy. The local temples were not only a place of sacrifice, they were also a place where animals were slaughtered, butchered, ready for sacrifices. And then, when those animals were sacrificed, not all the meat was consumed. In fact, sometimes only a small portion of it was consumed. Some of that meat was given to the temple staff for their consumption. Some of the meat was given to the worshipers and they could, in, in a way, have their own personal devotions at home, including the sacrifice. But a fair amount of it was taken to the local meat market for sale to the public. And anybody could go out, come, and, come and buy some of it. So a really heated crisis and conversation and a debate arose in the early church. Is it a sin to eat food that was previously sacrificed to an idol? And there was division in the church at Corinth. Big time, divisive, strident, acrimonious, hateful. It got so bad that finally they sent a note to St. Paul saying, here's what's happening about meat sacrificed to idols. We can't come to a resolution about this. Help us out. Would you, would you make a decision for us about that? And Paul, and, and you can read this in 1 Corinthians 8, sends a message to the people in Corinth. And his response is pretty much in the area of, well, it depends. Because it depends. And I wanted to explain that. The question is not, is it wrong to practice idolatry? 
St. Paul would have no truck with that at all. The question, rather, for St. Paul was, are Christians free to do something associated with practicing idolatry? And again on that, the sides were drawn up. Some Christians associated the eating of meat directly with the practice of idolatry, and to eat that meat was the same as worshiping the idols. Others insisted that idols were nothing to them. There's only one true God, and they had no pangs of conscience. That's what's been going on with the Harry Potter series as well in the Christian community, with devout Christians on both sides of the issue. Again, some folks saying this is all fantasy, marvelous, it's amazing that somebody can come up with a continued novel series like this and awe, and for them they are right. And when others insist that mixed in with all the fun fantasy in Harry Potter, all this mythology and legend and folklore and fairy tale stuff, there are some terms and some actions that really do match up with witchcraft and the occult and are forbidden by God. And those folks are right too, for themselves. So what do we do? Back to St. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He's got some pretty good advice for us in these situations. First, we can be free in Christ while still respecting the conviction of others. Number two, don't be a know-it-all as though you have more revelation for yourself on some issues than Scripture itself provides for the Christian community. More than that, an idol is nothing to the one who serves the true God. So, so we can be surrounded with stuff that, that may have some remote or nearer association with unchristian influences, and we're okay in our conscience and in our life so long as we serve the God we serve. Let me give you an example of that. What do we do with a prayer rug? And here's why I ask that question. In my wife's and my house today, nearly all the main floor, the entire main floor, is covered with hardwood. We've added decorative rugs here, there, this room, and another thing. A couple of years ago, a family member, my brother, gave me a rug to use in our home, small rug. It had been a gift from friends of theirs who had emigrated to the United States from the Middle East. They were de-rugging their own home, their own house, and so they asked if we wanted this rug. And, and I said, happily take that. In fact, we've got a perfect place for it. It's underneath our piano stool. And so it's there yet. Still use it, still enjoy it. Well, about a year later, my brother told me that he thought it could have been, in fact, it may very likely have been used as a prayer rug in the Middle East by some non-Christians. <laughs> so what am I going to do, right? What am I going to do? In this, I followed St. Paul's advice that if this, in fact, had been used as a prayer rug by some non-Christians in their worship 4,000 miles away, it doesn't mean a single thing to me 
because I worship the true God. And beyond that, the wool that was used in this wonderful small rug, that belonged to God in the first place, so not to worry. That was my conscience. But if someone were to come to my house and find out the possible nature of this rug, and they were to find it creepy, or maybe even if they thought it was spiritually tainted in a former life, I would not insist that they sit on it at all. I would not insist that they have anything to do with this rug. It just depends. It just depends. We are to respect the contents of others and to temper our freedom about how our, how our contact, our conduct will impact others. Let me give you another example. When I grew up, we were engaged in deep spiritual warfare. It didn't have to do with the battles of the cosmic forces in the universe, evil against good or anything close to idolatry. Those were mere trifles. We were engaged in that great spiritual battles between the good Lutherans on the one hand and the bad Roman Catholics on the other. <laughs> That's how I grew up. Lutherans against Catholics. Serious business. Land was bought and sold on the basis of Christian denominations. Social groups coalesced around churches on parishes, and even churches and parishes were code words. And when it came time for dating and marriage, these spiritual battles were in a league of their own. If a young Lutheran woman came home one day and told mom and dad that the young man she was dating was Catholic and that they were thinking of marrying, mom would leave, let, just let out a huge shriek and, and then she'd start crying, you know, that this soft kind of jerky crying that, that women can do just before the dam breaks. You, you know what that is? Dad would have a look on his face as if he had just seen the angel of death creeping up on him in the bathroom mirror. This was serious stuff. And if that young woman mentioned that we might want to have the wedding date a whole lot earlier than later, mom would let out another shriek and the dam would burst. And dad would be over there reaching for his 12-gauge Winchester and a box of heavy-duty ammunition. The horrors, the horrors will have to move. The horrors of it all. And yet, and yet, if we had a gathering in our home on a Friday evening or afternoon, friends or a meeting or something like that, and we were going to serve ham and roast beef, we would respect the conscience of our Roman Catholic neighbors and friends who had the piety that kept them from eating meat on Friday. And so we provided cheese sandwiches or something like that. We didn't agree with them, but we respected their consciences. That's Paul's advice in this. Don't, don't cause someone to stumble. We need to consider the words of Scripture where they are clear on certain matters. No question about that. 
we are to sense the leading of the Holy Spirit. Then, when there's no clear direction from Scripture, we need to respect our consciences, and we need to respect the consciences of others. The writings and the movies of Harry Potter may well be right for one Christian and wrong for another. Paul really says it depends on your conscience. There's no clear word of scripture here. Paul says it's not the act of eating or not eating that matters to a person. We're no better or worse for eating or not eating. We are no better or worse for reading or not reading. We are no better or worse for viewing or not viewing. We need to be absolutely faithful to our conscience and respectful of others. And when and where there is no clear guidance from Scripture, the law of love trumps everything, as it did for Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a Hollywood hero, one of the best. Harry Potter is also fantasy. By contrast, Jesus Christ is real. In one minute or less, we are going to confess that we believe in Jesus Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate. And that reference anchors our faith in real world history, real suffering in real time. We are going to confess that Jesus Christ rose again on Easter Sunday. He was seen by multiple hundreds Again, anchoring the resurrection in real time. Real life in real time for real folks like you and me. Jesus Christ, the real hero for real folks. For the blessings we receive, for the blessings of community and for those who we may not agree, agree with and who may not agree with us. For, for the blessing of those who are gathered around Christ and for the beautiful, beautiful blessings that we say this morning, thanks, thanks, and thanks be to God. Amen. We continue now as we stand and confess.